Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today I'm excited because I get to wrap up this message series. It's been our summer series. We've called it uh, Summer Psalms, and we've been working our way through this uh, Old Testament book. And uh, the idea is just to give you a sampling. We weren't trying to cover the whole book. As you know, it's got 150 chapters. There was no way we were going to be able to cover all of those. And so we just gave you kind of a a little sampling of those in hopes that we would stop just kind of going to a verse here and a verse there, because this is what Psalms. Uh, what happens in Psalms many times is we'll just take a verse uh, and we take it out of context sometimes and we see it all across social media. You know, they'll use a verse out of Psalm to, to say something or to prove something and it's not even close to what it was originally written about. And so this whole uh, message series was designed to pique your interest in hopes that you would dive into this, this ancient book and just to pull the wisdom and just the information out of it and the teachings that, that God has for us and this has been phenomenal. I hope that you've enjoyed this. But today, we're wrapping this thing up in Psalm chapter 40. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. We don't do this very often, but I liked it so much last week. We're just going to do it again. I'm just going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to read through Psalm 40 verses 1 through 17. There's only 17 verses. And uh, this is something that we do in traditional churches all the time. They will, they'll stand for the reading of God's word just out of respect. And, uh, and so what I want to do is I want to read this and uh, in its entirety so you get a feel for the entire chapter. And then I want to pray over us and then we'll dive into it and see what we can draw out of it today. So let's take a look at this psalm. Chapter 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord who have no confidence in the proud and in those who worship idols. O Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I try to recite all of your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand you don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come as is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I have told all your people about your justice. I have, I have not been afraid to speak out as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithful, faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. 
For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they say, Aha! We've got him now. But, many all, but may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper, my, self, my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We just ask that your spirit would move uh, in our hearts and our minds. God, would you help us to see something uh, in this that we have not seen before? Lord, I pray that you would just meet us right where we're at, each and every one of us. And Lord, open up our hearts and, and minds to your truth this morning. God, speak to us on our own individual level, wherever we need to be challenged today, wherever we need to be convicted or maybe encouraged. Would you do that, Lord? And Lord, I pray again that we would not leave here today the same way that we walked in, that we would be changed a little bit more to look more like you. God, we just pray that all of this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus and God's church agreed and said, amen. You may be seated. Uh, In this psalm, what we see is David is recalling a time when he he was in the, the pit uh, he was in the pits, literally, right? Not just figuratively, but literally in a pit. And we're not sure exactly when this takes place in David's life, because honestly, if you know uh, your scriptures, David was in a lot of trouble his entire life, right? Some of it he did to himself. Some of it he just, uh, it just happened to him because of where he was at and then the fact that he was anointed as king and, and that he had a lot of enemies against him. And so he was in a lot of trouble throughout his whole life. So we're not sure exactly when in his life this happens, but we know that it spells... Uh, trouble for him because in verse 2 we read this he lifted me out of the pit of despair out of the mud and the mire he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along so it's this idea of reflecting back on this pit that God has rescued him from But it's not a pit like you and I would think of. See here in eastern Colorado, if you go out and you dig a hole today, it's probably just going to be this sandy hole with no water in it. And and that pit doesn't threaten us at all, right? I mean, we can just kind of stand in that and no big deal. But the pit that he's talking about is completely different. This isn't just a hole in the ground. This is like a cavern. This is something really deep, someplace where the sun doesn't shine, where you can't see up. And not only that, but he says, out of the mud and the mire. So we get this idea that, that what he's in, in this pit, is almost like quicksand. He's sinking into it. And these images are supposed to make us feel what David was feeling in that moment. Now, one of the, the things I, I like about Scripture is many times you'll see other places where this is used, and, and there's a story in Jeremiah in chapter 38, verse 6, where the king actually is trying to get rid of the prophet Jeremiah, and we're told in that story that they take him out to a cistern. If you don't know what a cistern is, it's a massive cavern in, in the ground. Many times it was used to hold water so that they could draw water out of it, but they said in this passage that they lower Jeremiah into the cistern, and it says that it has no water, but this is what it says, that the bottom of it was a thick layer of mud, and Jeremiah began to sink down into the mud. And so to get the mental picture, right, you're in a cavern, 
You're in a deep, dark cavern. And not only that, but you have no solid ground. It seems like if you try to lift one leg up, the other one sinks a little bit deeper. And so you go to lift the other one up, and this one sinks even deeper. And then pretty soon, the more you wiggle, the deeper you're getting, and it's, and it's getting higher and higher, and you're going lower and lower, and yet you're in this cavern. There's nobody there to help you. There's no way to get out. By yourself, you will never be able to get out. There is no hope in this moment. Shout as you may, no one can hear you. Uh, this is the type of pit that David is talking about in this moment. He's talking about something that is so deep, so hopeless, that without help you are not gonna be able to get out. Let me ask you, uh, what pit are you in right now? Maybe it's financially, you're in a pit. Uh, Maybe it's business, you've gotten in a place where you just can't see any hope. Uh, Maybe it's in a relationship, a marriage, or, or with a parent or a child. And you're not sure how you're going to repair it. It looks like it's completely broken and there's no way that anyone or anything is going to help you in that moment. What pit are you in right now? Let me ask you this. How are you responding to it? Are you responding well? Because I believe in chapter 40, David gives us some tips on how we can respond when we're in a pit. I think... Obviously, the the thing that David would say that we read in this passage is that we trust in God. And you hear that said in churches all the time, right? We trust in God. God, we trust in you. I trust in you, God. But we don't talk about specifically how many times, do we? But in this passage, I think David gives us five ways that we can exercise our trust in God. Five areas, if you will, that we can put our trust in God, especially if you're in a pit. You're in a place where you can't see any hope. You can't be rescued without some intervention. And so today, I want to share with you five ways that you can place your trust in God, that you can exercise your trust in God if you're in a pit. The first one is this that I see in chapter 40. We need to trust God with our prayers. You can trust God with your prayers. Verse one, he started off this way. He said, I wait patiently for the Lord to help me. Get this. And he turned to me and heard my cry. David says, look, I I cried out to the Lord. Uh, I was waiting patiently. And guess what? God turned to me. He turned to me. It's what we talked about last week, that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere, every place, all places, all time. That's how incredible our God is. And we talked last week about how he can minister to you in a very specific, special way, right where you're at the exact same time that he's ministering to me in a very specific and special way. That's not because we're great, that's just because of how great our God is. And yet, David takes this, this, this God, this creator of the universe, this almighty, powerful God, and it says that he turned to him. There's this, this very personal touch to this, this text that I absolutely love, that I want you to get, because you need to know you have a God who loves you, who knows you, who knows right where you're at, he knows every detail of your life, and when you cry out to him, he turns to you, and he hears your prayers. Uh, He says, um, I waited patiently. Now we read that and we're like, okay, what's that, like an hour, right? Like I waited for the doctor to to call me, I was in the waiting room and he called. 
Not really. Uh, I read some commentary on this, and, and one of the, the commentaries that I read, I, I loved it. They just unpackaged this, this original word, and really they said the waiting that David's talking about here is much deeper, deeper than the pit that he's in, obviously. It's deeper than that. He said if you were going to translate it correctly, you would actually say it this way. You would say, in the waiting, I waited. Like it's, it's this long patience, waiting on God to move on his behalf. In the waiting, I waited. Now, this experience of prayer is what, something we all have to go through. We all have to express our troubles to God, and we have to wait on him. And sometimes, here, here's what's amazing, God will respond immediately. Have you ever experienced that? Like, you go to say a prayer, and by, by the time you're praying it, God has already answered that prayer. I've had that happen. But then I've also seen it to where God doesn't do it immediately. Like, there's, there's a long period that passes. There's a long time before that prayer is answered. And some of you are in the middle of that right now. And that might feel like a pit to you. God, I've got a child who, they were raised. They know you. They know better and yet they've gone off and they're, they're doing their own thing. When are they ever going to come back? God, would you please bring them back? And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. Uh, sometimes God answers immediately. Sometimes he takes his time, his time. And that's the key because his time is always better. See, trusting God with our prayers, uh, there's something incredible in this. When we understand that he turned to me and he heard my cry. When we understand that we have a God that knows us individually, he knows our needs, he knows everything about our lives, the details, and that he's gonna turn to us and he's gonna answer that prayer, whether it's today or whether it's tomorrow or years from now, we know that's gonna happen. Here's what happens in our prayers. They become confident. They turn from prayers into praises. Trusting God means that when we pray, our prayers actually turn into praises. Uh, The first part of verse 3 says, He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. This David, who wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms, said, God gave me a new song. Now, I don't know if chapter 40 is the new song. I don't know if that's what it is. But God has given him a new song to sing back to him. Now, I praise God because I know that he hears my prayers. I know that he will eventually answer. He doesn't always answer the way that I think he's going to answer, but he always answers my prayer. I praise him because of that. Uh, There's a song out there that I've got on my rotation right now that I'm listening to a lot. It's just a song called Worthy of My Song, and it starts off by saying, I'm going to sing till my heart starts changing. I'm going to worship until I mean every word. That's a prayer that turns into praise. God, look, I know I'm in the pit, but I know you see me. I know you know every detail about the situation, and I know that there is no hope outside of you. And so I trust you with my prayers. I trust you. And when, when we get to that place in our relationship with Christ, then all of a sudden our prayers turn into praises. Uh, they turn into praises when we remember, he turned to me and heard my cry. I remember when my oldest son, Hunter, was about, 
Well, he wasn't even one. You know, he was a little bitty guy. He was just getting up and starting to move, you know how they do. And uh, then, then you're trying to play catch up, you know. And uh, he was running around. And my mother-in-law was spending a lot of time at the house, obviously, as the new grandkid. And so she's over there a lot. And I remember my wife as the mother, and maybe some of you young moms can, can relate to this. But, but she's like, why? It seems like he always goes to my mom instead of coming to me. What's the deal? He's my kid, right? And, and her heart, I think, was just kind of hurt over that. Like, man, he, he just loves my mom more, more than he loves me. And, and there was this one moment, and he wasn't even one yet. He was scooting around the house, and we had this house where the garage door would open up, and you would take like three steps down into the garage, and then it was a cement floor. And he went flying out that door one day, and this is like the first time he had really, really gotten himself hurt. And he went out, and I mean, just crashed and burned like you wouldn't believe. He come running to the house, and my mother-in-law was the first one to get there, and she's standing there like, oh, baby, come and come, you know, and he wanted nothing to do with her. And he was looking, he was, he was screaming out for his mom, he was crying out for his mom. And I remember her sharing later on that, how that touched her, like, man, he, this is the first time really he got hurt, and he wanted me. You know, when, when it really happened, when things really went down, he was calling my name. And the reason for that is loving parents never turn away from a hurting child. When they hear the cry of their child, and can I just say the same thing is true for your heavenly father. When you're in a pit and you're crying out to God, your heavenly father responds to you. A loving parent will never turn away from a hurting child. When you cry out, your heavenly father will turn to you and he will hear your cry. Did you know that God takes that and he, he brings you up out of that pit? He, he brings that prayer up to a level of praise. And when you do that, he uses that to change not just you, but the world around you. The second part of verse 3 says this. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. God will use your situation to, to change not just you, but the people around you as well. See, God will rescue you from the pit. He will give you a new song to sing. He will give you a testimony to reach other people with it. It's in our pain, it's in our hurt that we really connect. And God will use that if you let him. And there's, there's something just absolutely healing about that when you see God using that, not just to change you, but to change the people around you. So when you're in a pit... First of all, we have to learn how to trust God with our prayers, but secondly, uh, we have to trust God with our security. You need to trust God with your security, and some of you in here today, this is where you're at. Like, you're struggling with that security, and you need to know that you can trust God with that, because you think that you can control your life, you think you have control on the situation, on relationships, or whatever it is, and you're trying to hang on to it, and it seems like the more you grasp, the more it slips through your fingers. Um, this is where you've got to let go, and you really need to trust God with your security. Verses 4 and 5 says, Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. I love that. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all of your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Um, oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, look, you've done amazing things. This is why prayer journals are so important. This is why I want you to start journaling your prayers. What are you praying about? What are you lifting up to God? And then record how he responds and the date. 
so that you don't forget those things. Uh, we've got a guy in this congregation. He has, uh, he has what he calls a miracle journal, which I think is just amazing. And for years and years, he's recorded all the miracles that he's seen God do in his life, through his family and everything else. I love that. He was sharing some of that with me, and I'm like, man, that is a great idea. Do you know why? Because it's just like this. David, I forget about him, but when I write him down, I can be reminded that God can be trusted. Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord. I actually like the way the ESV says it. It says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed. Those who trust in the Lord, not other people. And I love that because um, I'm imperfect. I have a lot of inabilities. I make mistakes all the time. Uh, I might trust people. Uh, you know, I was always raised to hire for your weaknesses. That's what you do. You know, you lean into people that are stronger in areas that you're weak. And, and that's a good thing sometimes. But here's the problem. Uh, many times I will trust people before I'll trust God. And I got to get to a place where I can trust God. He's the first one that I need to go to. Why? Because he is trustworthy. I need to go to him before I go to anyone else. God is reliable. How do I know that? Because of all that he's done. Because of everything that I've seen him do in and through my life. It helps me to learn to trust him even more. He's proven that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful, that his promises are true over and over again in my life. And yet sometimes when uh, something comes up, when I get myself in a pit, I get in trouble, sometimes I go to people instead of him. And I got to do a better job of trusting him with my security because honestly, uh, in the middle of his hands is the best place to be. Because it's a facade. It's a lie that I have control over anything. He's the only one that's in control. And I need to exercise that by, by putting my trust in him for my security. We trust God with our prayers, trust God with our security. And then, of course, um, we need to trust God with our obedience. Trust God with your obedience. Now, verses 6, 7, and 8 are probably the most messianic verses in this entire passage. If you're looking at your bookmark, you'll find out that 40 is actually a messianic psalm. There's a lot in it that, that pushes us towards Jesus. It's what Tim was talking about this morning. This, everything points to Jesus in the Bible. Uh, chapter 40 really, really points to Jesus. And I'll show that to you here in just a second. But this is a portion of scripture. If you want to do some more research, uh, if you're one of those, go to Hebrews chapter 10. And you'll see this portion of scripture come back up in Hebrews chapter 10. But in verse 6 it says this. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand, you don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. It's interesting, there's four different things listed here. There's sacrifices, there's offerings, there's burnt offerings, there's sin offerings, and they all had uh, you know, different things, that, that they applied them differently. But just as Christ was obedient to God, we're reminded that we need to be obedient to God as well. And when I ask for God's help, he, he might tell me to do something in my life. He might tell me that I need to deal with my trouble in a certain way. Maybe it's to confess sin, or maybe it's to deal with someone or something in my life, or, or maybe just to pay attention to the prompting of his Holy Spirit that I've been tuning out lately. But whatever that is, I need to be obedient to those things. When God speaks to me, I need to respond by, by being obedient, not by, by tuning him out. Some of you in here, you know what your next step is. You know that God has told you 
to do something or not do something in your life and you've been ignoring it. Today is a day that you need to say, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do what he's telling me to do. God doesn't want us to make sacrifices, to make offerings to him, to satisfy him. He doesn't need that because he already took care of all that through his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent to earth, who uh, walked a perfect walk on this earth, who gave his life at at the cross, paid a high price, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Those offerings have been taken care of through Jesus Christ. He doesn't want offerings from us. You know what he wants from us? He wants obedience. And not, not because we have to, but because we desire to be in a relationship with God, because we love him that much, that we will listen to what he says and we will obey it. Now, this passage is a little interesting. It says, um, it says now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. Now, it's interesting, I'll just tell you, it's different in translations is what it is. But if you go to like the NIV or the ESV, and I'm gonna read both of those for you, it says it differently, and I think that this is actually a little more accurate if, if you take a look at it this way. This is what it says in the NIV. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. The ESV says in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me a what? A what? Open. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. A what? Open. There you go, right, an open ear. Now, what does that mean? Because I think when we read that in our English, we go, oh, that, that means that I'm listening. God's made me to where I can listen to him. But I think it's a lot deeper than that. I think it's more rich. See, I think what David was doing here is he was alluding clear back to Exodus 21. Uh, Exodus 21 actually gives us a lot of instructions on slaves. And in that day, they had slaves, and, and many of the slaves had debts to pay. That's why they were enslaved. They were enslaved. And, and so the instruction went something like this. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. You can go back and read it in Exodus 21 later. But if there was a slave who had to pay off a debt, and they've worked their debt off, and the day came where the, the master said, okay, you're free, all of your debt has been paid, you can go, they had an option. They can either go, but many times, get this, the slave wouldn't want to be free. And you might go, well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. But that was true in, the, in these days. Why? Because they would say, hey, um, I've got a good life with my master. My master is good to me. And here's what they could do. They could go before a judge, and they could say, you know what? I don't want to be free. I want to continue to serve my master. Not as a slave, but as a willing servant. Like, I... I give myself, my life to my master because he's been so good to me, she's been so good to me that I just want to serve them with the rest of my life. I know that's a better life for me. And what they would do, and in the instruction in, in Exodus 21, is they would take them and they would put a, a hole in their ear. It was a sign that they weren't a slave, but they were a willing servant to someone, that they belonged to someone. They were the master's willing servant. They would put... They would open their ear, is what they would do. So let me read this again. In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. So I think what David's saying is, look, I commit my life. Not because I have to, but because I love my master. Because I know my master has a better plan for my life. And so I dedicate my life to him. I'm his willing servant. Let me ask you, have you made that decision? 
Are you a willing servant? I grew up in a church years ago where most of the people in the church weren't willing servants. They were reluctant slaves, is what they were. They went kicking and screaming. And that's not what, that's not what David's talking about here. He's like, no, 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 that's not what God wants. God wants us out of our love to be willing servants to God. He goes on in verse 7 and 8 to say this. Then I said, look, I have come as is written about me in the scriptures I take joy in doing your will. My God, for your instructions are written on my heart. And again, this is very messianic. Uh, it's, it's prophecy. It's written 1,000 years before Jesus ever shows up on the scene. And I think David is writing this under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so this is just prophetic. It's amazing. And maybe David didn't even really realize what he was writing. Like he's writing it from his own heart. But it makes more sense when you, when you think about it in terms of Jesus. Let me read it again. Don't think about David. Think about Jesus. He says this. Then I said, look, I have come as is written about me in the scriptures. The scriptures, the word there means scrolls, like what they would, they would read in the temple. The Old Testament scrolls, the Torah. They've told about me. Pastor Tim said that this morning. The Old Testament, everything's pointing to Jesus. That's what he's saying. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Jesus, when he was 12 years old, he's in the temple during Passover, and they leave, and they get a couple days in their journey, and they realize they can't find Jesus, and they go all the way back, and they find him, and he's in the temple, and he's like, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? I would be about my father's will. Before he goes to the cross, he's in the garden. He's praying, not my will, but your will be done, right? When we're in the pit, we need to trust God with our prayers. We need to trust God with our security, and we need to trust God with our obedience. And then number four, we need to trust God with our testimony. Everyone in here, if you are a believer in Christ, you have a testimony. God has given you a testimony, and we need to trust God with that testimony. Verses 9 and 10. It says, I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. See, part of trusting God in our obedience is sharing our testimony with the world around us. This is what we're called to do. It's how God designed it. He takes this amazing message, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he puts it in these broken vessels, you and me, and he sends us out in the world. Now, I got some questions when I get there. I'm just going to be like, why did you do it that way? Because we're so messed up and we're flawed. But that's why he, he chose to do it. And we're called to go out and share our testimony with the world around us. And the fact is, as Christians, we don't share the gospel the way that we should. We can seal our testimony. We can seal our faith. And, and God says to be public about it, to trust him in it. We need to trust him when we open our mouth about our faith. We need to trust him when you meet somebody who may not be in favor of your faith, but you know that God loves them just as much as he loved you because he sent his son to die for them just like he, he died for you. We need to trust him with our testimony and let him do what he can with our testimony. Um, Verse 10 is kind of interesting because my, my thing is I think we can internalize this. This is what hit me this last week as I was reading over this. And I'm going to ask you the same question. Can you say this applies to you? Listen to this. 
I've not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I've talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. If you had to rate yourself on that over this last week, how would you rate yourself? I don't know if I could rate myself very good on that. We gotta do a better job of trusting God with our testimony and letting the Holy Spirit use it to change not just us, but the people around us everywhere. When we um, are in a pit, we need to trust God with our prayers. We need to trust him with our security. We need to trust him with our obedience, our testimony. And then number five, we need to trust God with our insecurities, with our insecurities. This is a big one. I think this one does more damage than we even realize sometimes. Verse 11 says this, Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. David asked God not to withhold his compassion from him. Here I believe that he's stating, he's revealing this this insecurity that he's got. Uh, This insecurity means that uh, it's the state of of being open to danger, of, of being open to threat, of Um, lack of protection, feeling exposed, like bad things are going to happen. That's that insecurity, and that sometimes causes us to withdraw. David says that he he needs God to help protect him. Like nothing else can protect him. It's only God that can do that. God, God is the only one. Remember our security. He's the only one that can protect us. God, um, God is all that we have. Outside of him, we have nothing David knows that it's God's love and his truth that will guard him against all these things that make him feel insecure. And the truth refers actually to God's faithfulness to his promises. Do you know God doesn't break his promises? Like he's faithful to every one of his promises. If he promised it in scripture, it will happen. And, and I can see that these prayers are related to David's struggle with sin as well. I think just like David, my sin derives many times from my insecurities. I feel threatened or I feel in danger, and and so I resort to sin to solve the problem. This is where a lot of our addictions come from. It's coming from insecurities, pornography, our addictions to things like alcohol. When we lie, when we cheat, a lot of that just is coming out of our insecurities, And David knew instead of resorting to sin that he should place his trust in God's love and his compassion. It's these insecurities, I think, that wreck our lives, that that cause us to pull away, cause us to do things that don't align with God's will for our lives. And when we give those insecurities to God, he heals those areas. What are your insecurities? What's the thing you're worried about? What's the thing that you struggle with in living out your faith? Give that to God. Trust him with that. And let him fill in those gaps. If I'm just transparent with you, I'd have to tell you one of my struggles is um, my educational background. I didn't train for this. I never wanted this. And, And God called us and we fought him for two years in going into the ministry. And I can tell you, we're getting ready to celebrate our 17th year anniversary, and I've seen God do so much stuff just because we trusted him with our obedience, and we gave him, we just trusted him with our insecurities. Now, have people uh, come in and made comments? Yeah, they do it all the time. But I give it to Christ, and I I just trust him with it. 
And he has done more than I could ever imagine with it. If you just give him, just trust him with those insecurities. Uh, on John, January 12, 1997, two Swiss men set out to do something that had never been done before. They were going to circle the globe in a balloon. Uh, their aircraft was called the, the Bridling Orbiter, and it was a, a phenomenal thing. It was this, this high-tech masterpiece. Uh, it came complete with these solar power panels, this airtight capsule that the pilots would get in. It was pressurized in such a way that they could go to a whole other altitude. They could actually get to the altitude where they could enter into the jet stream and they could travel like 200 miles an hour. The price tag for this crazy thing was like $1.5 million. The problem was shortly after liftoff, um, calamity struck. Uh, the, the pilots that were in this tight, sealed, pressurized cabin, and they begin to smell kerosene fumes. Pretty soon, they emailed the control center, and they said, hey, kerosene's coming through the pipes on both sides of the tanks. We've tightened them as much as we can. We can't tighten them anymore, and it's still coming in. It's a nightmare. Answer us quick. Tell us what to do. They were advised to lower their altitude, open up the capsule, and hang on until they could reach the coast of Algeria. But unfortunately, the fumes got so thick, they ended up having to ditch the whole thing right in the middle of the Mediterranean. After they got it all pulled out, they they examined everything. You know what they found the problem was? It was a hose clamp, like what you would use on on an automotive radiator hose. The price was $1.16. It doesn't take much to undermine a great enterprise. And see, God has saved you. He's redeemed you. He's created you to live a triumphant life, but yet we allow these small things like our insecurities, our doubt, and our fear to derail us from what God has for us, what he wants to do in and through us. And we make excuses like, I can't do that. I'm not the person. Call somebody else. God, if you only knew, God, if you would just... And God just says, just trust me. Just trust me and watch what happens. I believe that we need to lean more into trusting God, especially when we're in the pit. When we're in trouble, we have to go to someone. Because when you're in a pit, like what David is describing here, there is no hope. Outside of yourself, you can't, you can't be saved. You have to go to someone. And can I just suggest there is no one better than Jesus Christ. He is worthy. He is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your praise. If you're in a pit right now, I want to encourage you with verse 13. It says, please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. I like the way the ESV says it. It says, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Do you realize that you have a God who takes pleasure in rescuing you and delivering you? If you're in a pit today, I want, you to, I want you to get excited. You know what? I'm in this pit, but I have a God who turns to me and he hears my cry. And he takes pleasure in delivering. And he wants to deliver me. But we have to trust him with our prayers, our security, our obedience, our, tes- our testimony, and our insecurity.